Welcome to Shift. You're listening to the final episode in our special seven-part series on Inventures 2022. If you're tuning in on release day, Inventures is just two days away, but it's not too late to join us in Calgary for this game-changing event. From June 1st to 3rd, we're bringing together the innovators, investors, experts, and entrepreneurs who are fearlessly shaping the future. Tickets are still available at adventurescanada.com. I'm Alex, and I'll be your guest hope as we tie up this special series. Today, we're talking about navigating to net zero. Around this time last year, Canada passed the Canadian Net Zero Emissions Accountability Act, committing the country to achieving net zero emissions by 2050. It's an ambitious target, especially on the global scale. According to the International Energy Agency, in order to reduce global emissions to zero by 2050, it would require an annual investment of $4 trillion into clean energy. Despite the growing push towards renewable energy sources, non-renewable resources will continue to be a major part of the energy mix into 2050 and beyond. New technologies and new applications for existing ones are required to expand our capacity for renewable energy production, to cut greenhouse gas emissions, and to commercialize new low-carbon products and materials. This work is already in progress, and our guest today believes that Alberta has everything it needs to lead the way. Alison Thompson has stood on both sides of what can sometimes seem like a deep divide between renewable and fossil fuel energy. She previously held several positions at a coal utility in the U.S. and at hydrocarbon giants in Canada. Now, she serves as the CEO of Vorealis and director at Kitsilis Geothermal. She also chairs the Canadian Geothermal Energy Association. Allison has dedicated a substantial part of her career to demonstrating that Canada doesn't have to choose between the economy and the environment. We actually can have it all. As an engineer, she's an expert in the technology behind energy production, and her diversity of experience has allowed her to develop a deep familiarity with the unique political landscape and business culture of energy in Canada and beyond. Her commitment to sustainability and to environmental, social, and corporate governance have been recognized both locally and nationally. She is a PEGA's 2020 Centennial Leadership Award recipient, and both Borealis and Kitsilis have received awards for their contributions to clean technology. Thank you so much for joining us, Allison. I am so excited to have you on the show. Thanks so much. Uh, to Alberta Innovates and, and providing the opportunity to, to talk about something that is so near and dear to my heart. <laughs> well, we are very excited, um, and I'm very excited to be able to go to your session at InVentures, because you're actually going to be speaking. Yeah, we're having a, a fireside chat uh, about what's up in Alberta, Canada, and internationally for the industry. Well, that sounds really fun. Um, so I wanted to ask, because I, I was looking at your LinkedIn, and I did find it like really interesting, because you started off, you've worked for some of those like major um, sort of traditional energy companies, um, like Suncor and Dexon, which is now CNOC. How did you get into geothermal from there? Sure. Uh, Well, when I first moved back to Canada after working at a large U.S. national utility that was mainly focused on coal, but they were also vertically integrated into producing their own oil and gas. And so uh, I never really kind of left the oil and gas industry, even though I was working at a coal (laughs) utility. But uh, moving back to Alberta, the Alberta oil sands companies were looking at renewables that could green their operations. 
And electricity back then, you know, this is 20 years ago, uh, electricity didn't compete with liquid fuels or gasoline for vehicles or for heat. I mean, these these were the days before electric cars and the mantra uh, which we hear a lot of now, electrify everything. So if an oil and gas company wanted greening, it was relatively uh, an easy regulatory pathway and, and very short timeline to complete a wind or a solar project from the executive decision to cash flow. But the holy grail was something that could also use the oil and gas company's existing workforce, technology transfer, and be at the same site as the emissions themselves. And that would be geothermal heat. So the more I grew aware of alternative energies, um, you know, just even just being a chemical engineer, I wanted to work towards a no compromise, a no compromise of the environment or economy energy future. So what is the current state of geothermal energy in Canada? And and what potential do we have for geothermal in Alberta? Well, there's a lot to unpack there. So I would say that governments, communities, supply chain are all now very well aware of geothermal energy. And this is a marked improvement from where we started 16 years ago at the Canadian Geothermal Energy Association. Uh, however, before industry has become established, there is now even a more or additional competition for geothermal heat from kind of newcomers like renewable natural gas, hydrogen, and again, that kind of electrify everything, even for heating applications. And while there's still no geothermal power plants uh, in Canada or Alberta, uh, there's a couple that are getting close in both Saskatchewan and Alberta. Uh, but my thoughts are around the low-hanging fruit is, is waste heat capture off of oil and gas wells. And, and that hasn't seen the growth that we've anticipated as an industry in Alberta yet or across Canada. But uh, but they are on their way to getting uh, like, like some examples built and maybe turned online even later this year, 2022. Uh, at the other extreme of the low-hanging fruit would be drilling for pure play geothermal power. So kind of bespoke and um, uh, fit-for-purpose geothermal wells versus using oil and gas wells. Uh, those pure play geothermal companies may use oil and gas data, but they do drill their own wells. Now, both, though, that, that oil and gas kind of co-production for waste heat, as well as the pure play geothermal electricity, they've had to put a lot of bells and whistles added onto their projects to make them economic in the, the power markets that we have and uh, the project development costs that our industry experiences. So in my view, the industry has been stymied by its access to capital. So projects have turned to federal and provincial grants. And up until recently, and that's due to Kangia's efforts to build capacity with governments, these grants were for electricity production. So yes, you could have heat or lithium recovery at your project, but you had to also make electricity. And that's where the bells and whistles have had to come into projects you hear about in the news by adding on other fuel sources like a natural gas or a solar or wind, et cetera, to make the electricity economics work in grids that don't otherwise reward or pay a premium for baseload geothermal electricity by itself. Uh, a quick example, a place like California does pay a premium for, for baseload. Uh, but here it uh, it does not. And so uh, you've got to get you know the, the lowest cost, even though you may be adding benefits like not having to build extra transmission lines, you're not rewarded for that here. So it comes down to your your cost of electricity, not your uh, kind of like your all in capital and operating cost of electricity. And I think these bells and whistles uh, or the approach has been good for the academic side of things as there's been so much to research. And this may help in the future lead to a, a deeper decarbonization effort or, or result. But on the whole, if we focus only on heat in the near term, I think we'd be a lot further down the road as an industry. And I also think that's where the greenhouse gas reduction action is today. The grids in Canada are already greater than 80% non-emitting, but our heating industry is the opposite. It's actually largely served by fossil fuels. And in, yes, the carbon tax is helping, 
but the longer we wait to decarbonize, the more it's going to cost the environment, society, and even the companies embarking on their own decarbonization efforts. So when you're asking about uh, like technical challenges, I, I'm not sure I'd say that's the largest barrier. But I think it's economic and regulatory. Uh, natural gas and fossil fuels are still subsidized. And at the same time, we have carbon taxes. So these are conflicting and confusing messages from governments. And, and maybe one message is coming from a Fed and another from the province or, or a bit of both. Uh, but but not kind of a clear playing field, never, never mind a, a level playing field. And so at the federal level, as kind of a, a timely example, in Budget 2022, we recently saw the, the CCUS, so that's Carbon Capture Utilization and Storage Industry, receive generous investment tax credits. And so by comparison, we should remember that the geothermal energy uh, our whole industry was only just included in the Canadian Renewable and Conservation Expense, that's called CRCE program, uh, after major adv advocacy from Kangia a decade ago. And uh, our industry, as I mentioned, is also eligible for government grants. But when you apply for government grants, they're super competitive, they're so time consuming to apply and limited in the amount of capital you can receive. Where, on the other hand, an ITC investment tax credit is available, straightforward to use, and understood by investors and developers. And uh, the CCUS, it, it, just to use them as an example, uh, is set at such a generous rate above what the no carbon option, you know, of a geothermal or other renewable would be, um, where we have to access the, the government programs and, and the capital market. It, it, it's... Um, uh, yeah, it's a it's a lot to take in, and it's really something I, I'm personally championing in, in you know the past few weeks and months as, as this evolves. But uh, like in a nutshell, there I'd like to see the no carbon options like geothermal heat, given funding parity, uh, or at least ease of ease of uh, funding uh, to anything that a lower fossil fuel greenhouse gas emission choice is provided with, because it, the, these messages are are conflicting, they're confusing, uh, they're they're kind of like not holistic. And uh, it's, it's not going to lead to no carbon. It may lead to lower carbon, but, but not to the, the net zero, which, which this podcast is all about. That makes total sense to me. I, I was fortunate enough to um, go to Iceland several years ago, and, and their use of geothermal to me was really fascinating because it is often they use it so much more for space heating in addition to, you know, getting a fair bit of electricity from it. But that heating aspect is something that they use it quite frequently for. Now, you've spoken previously about the huge amount of renewable energy resources that we have here in Alberta. And I know that a lot of energy companies that have previously focused entirely on oil and gas are now expanding. Like they're saying, you know, we want to get into renewable energy as well. How is that transition going, do you think? And, and what are the overlaps that we have between technologies that are used for renewable and non-renewable energies that can kind of facilitate that shift? Okay, well, I think I'm going to break uh, the words geothermal energy into two parts then, geopower okay. and geoheat. And so first I'll start with, uh, with electricity. Uh, so here we go. World-class wind, solar, biomass, pump storage, hydro, geothermal, batteries, waste heat capture, all of these opportunities are available in Alberta. But you have to notice, like I didn't mention a fossil fuel. So on the electricity side, you know, here's, here's a great example of, of where geothermal could help. 
We, Kanji, has long championed that in grid congested areas, the ISO, this is the Alberta Electric System Operator, should work more collaboratively with the geothermal industry. So a common response from them would be to go talk to the private distribution line companies about congestion. But, you know, small geothermal companies, they, they don't or maybe they shouldn't have the capacity to take on that task when the information is actually there for the government or for, for ASO to facilitate the discussion. So let me tell you more about the opportunity here. Geothermal potential exists all across Alberta. You know, everyone will agree with me on that. At different depths, there are for different costs, but, but the potential is all across Alberta. So where you have an electricity grid congestion issue, uh, instead of building more wires, uh, where not in my backyard, NIMBY, you know, they may not want that, or instead of using batteries that, that may have their own issues with the supply chain of, of critical metals, why not build a baseload geothermal power plant? You know, it doesn't even have to be big, it just has to be sized to address that congestion. So you'll solve the electric congestion, you'll create a local oil and gas service and supply chain style jobs you know, in that community. You'll accomplish technology transfer from the oil and gas industry. You're gonna reinforce the electrical grid. You're gonna then create entrepreneurial opportunities for the local people to use the waste or the cascaded heat coming off the geothermal power plant, you know, et cetera. So at times an engineer or an imagineer, I think needs to be paired with an economist and a policy analyst and a capital provider, you know, the funding, that would be the dream team to accelerate, accelerate our industry. The, the solutions, they already exist. They just need to be cited, these projects in optimal locations to accomplish more than one goal. So more, maybe more than electricity. Then maybe that's getting into even a circular economy discussion. But uh, I, I think that there could be a, a lot more projects if, if there was actually some thought and, uh, and that, that requires, I believe, that the government companies to work together. Now, I, I wanted to continue though, that was just electricity, which we, which we had a lot to say about, but, uh, but then there's heat, geoheat. Uh, so at Cangia, we've coined the term Directive G60, and uh, this is designed to be analogous to the Alberta Energy Regulator, AER's Directive 60, that governs flare gas. So where it is economical to conserve the gas and repurpose it, it needs to be done in many provinces in Canada. And, and that was, uh, you know, initially Spearhead spread it here in our province, and it led to almost an overnight uh, reduction of uh, a burning flare gas. So if uh, for the older parts of the audience, myself included, you remember flying over Alberta, uh, you know, in a night sky and seeing all these, you know, candles lit up. And then when Directive 60 came in, you know, nothing, it, it's gone. So obviously like a very effective um, policy. So let me continue with that then. Uh, Across Alberta, we have waste heat off of the oil and gas wells that we believe can be economically recovered too. So heat, not, not flare gas. And we'd like to see the AER adopter industries propose G60. Uh, not so much a conversation uh, on that, uh, although we've been trying for, let's also frame that for the better part of a decade. So maybe not have been in the past ready for prime time. I think today that concept is ready for prime time. But uh, but let me indulge um, in a thought exercise. So let's even pretend we're on vacation to an island. It can even be tropical or it could be Iceland. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> maybe lean into this thought exercise and think maybe perhaps even Margaritaville. Okay, so island culture, good vibes, but... Islanders have long learned to act like energy is a scarce resource. Ask any landman or back office accountant who's watching overhead costs, how long a permitting process, stakeholder consultations, the actual land environmental footprint that all goes into a greenfield project costs. And then ask yourself, why wouldn't we want to maximize the output of all that effort in land use? 
And so this idea that you can co-produce from oil and gas wells, uh, you know, maybe it's too lofty to, to set your sights only on co-producing for electricity. Co-producing for heat is, is truly low-hanging fruit. And, uh, and again, our, our directive G60, our proposal G60, uh, would be, I think, wildly successful, not just in Alberta, but, but adopted by the other provinces. So then beyond the land use, the human supply chain, the talent workforce, we can repurpose all their skills for a healthier economy and environment you know, via geothermal energy development. Uh, I've, I've got a few more thoughts about that. And I'd like to say some maybe some good things, all-encompassing things about the geothermal industry and, and our ability to decarbonize industrial heat you know, in a profitable manner. So fuel switching leads to no exposure to carbon tax, no exposure to variable fossil fuels. It may even lead to product premiums if your customer cares about the upstream carbon footprint of the commodity that was, what was built or, or assembled with that industrial heat. So using geothermal energy can also support economic reconciliation with Indigenous landowners and also economic reconciliation for rural and remote communities who may have had some industries, you know, leave them or that, you know, the flight to the, the city or to the urban areas. And it's, it's those communities in particular who need to develop local economies and energy security. So if, if heat distribution pipelines can create, so geothermal heat distribution pipelines can create critical and regional infrastructure. Uh, other outcomes, it could be development of, again, local jobs, decreased emissions to the local and, of course, the global airshed, regulatory reform, better educated and prepared policymakers, because they've actually been through a few projects or examples. And so is this a pipe dream or the hallmarks of a geothermal pipeline? That would be amazing. Uh, now, you're actually working on some projects that are kind of going in that direction through um, Borealis and Kitsilis. Can you talk about those a little bit? I can. Thanks for asking. So, so far, I've been uh, speaking from the perspective of Kangia, uh, the Geothermal Energy Association in Canada. And with my corporate hat on now, uh, I would just plain out encourage people to begin with the end in mind and, and don't be transactional and let businesses find value in working together. Uh, maybe enabling one natural resource to support another in a virtuous circle. And so at Borealis, we've helped communities, uh, multinational corporations, Indigenous and other governments across Canada from uh, all three oceans, ocean to ocean to ocean. Uh, we've helped them for the past, uh, let's call it 15 years, assess their potential to develop geothermal resources. And so uh, what, what I've come to, to really understand is that unless it's a remote, off-grid, congested or unstable grid location, we think geothermal heat should be used for just that, heating and cooling, as opposed to the, these uh, kind of stretch goals of, of geothermal electricity. You know, as an engineer, of course, that can happen too. But but is it economic and is it that, that stepping stone we need to get our industry started? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure that those grants uh, should have been designed to, to be more inclusive of, of the low-hanging fruit heat from the get-go versus uh, making us aspire to the end result, which is, which is power and possibly even lithium um, uh, collection as well. And so at Borealis, we've also been a B Corporation or a Benefits Corp since 2016. And we're happy to have found an international designation that legitimizes our approach to business. And, and, uh, and that, that approach is, is shared success amongst stakeholders and customers. So we're not just destined to be a transactional energy utility or energy provider. Uh, you know, we're, we're part of uh, everyone's got to win. I know the, you know, the win-win, it's kind of an overused expression, but, uh, but when, you, when you're really going to lean into what being a B Corp means, 
there are no unhappy faces. And, and uh, you know, getting back to that pipeline, I talk about having a parade versus a, a protest by local communities because the, you know these typically are, are really things that become uh, critical infrastructure that, uh, that everybody buys into and everybody you know wants to use. And so uh, our current developments are, are in BC, although we're an Alberta-based company. Uh, Sustainable is near the village of Valemount, and that's designed to address local air pollution and energy insecurity issues. And then our Fuel for Reconciliation project is a joint venture with Kitsilis First Nation near Terrace, and it is designed to provide industrial heating and cooling that materially reduces greenhouse gases from fossil fuel combustion. But it also allows the, the limited electric grids, we'll talk again about you know, congestion or, or grids that, that work, but maybe they can't be expanded. So the Fuel for Reconciliation project allows the limited electric grid to serve just easier customers. Uh, if we're able to serve industrial heat, then they don't have to. And, uh, and quite frankly, most, most industrial processes outside of um, uh, Quebec, you know, where there's uh, you know, a lot of industrial processes that are on electric to begin with, uh, those companies, it's easier to convert to just heat, you know, a fossil fuel heat to a geothermal heat than to convert to electric. And so at Boreal's, we don't believe that electrify everything should be a mantra of any government. You know, with thought and the use of local energy resources, maybe that's called um, uh, decentralized energy resources, and with respect for limiting land use or repurposing already used land, uh, be that for electrical wires or pipelines, uh, all of Canada's natural resources and, and the workforce, well, we can work together to support economic, social, environmental, and Indigenous reconciliation. And so my, my closing thought on that question is, does this sound too futuristic? I know it's not, because many countries are already there or are well on their way. And, you know, Absolutely. Iceland even, but but there's more examples. <laughs> totally. There's so many. And so I look forward to that roundtable, you know, with an engineer, an economist, a policymaker, and an artistic communicator to help plan and socialize a different energy landscape. But in the meantime, this podcast is a wonderful start. And thank you for inviting me to participate. Thank you uh, for coming on. And, and to our listeners, if you are interested in, in learning more about geothermal, uh, you will be able to come and listen to Alison Thompson, as well as uh, Lisa Mueller and Alberta Innovate's own Heather Campbell on June 2nd this at InVentures. The last part uh, again, of our Alison, thank you so much for joining us in 2022. Now, remember, it's not too late to get your tickets. You can still join us in Calgary June 1st through 3rd by going to InventuresCanada.com. You'll be able to see Alison Thompson and many other fantastic speakers covering everything from ag tech to urban design and more. My name is Alex, and it has been my absolute pleasure to be your guest host for these past two episodes. The Shift team will be up to all kinds of fun during adventures, so keep tuning in for more updates and more great stories that will shift your perspective on innovation. Thank you for listening to Shift.